Welcome to episode 3 of the Story of Podcast, where a bunch of guys choose a topic, research it individually, meet back up to talk about what we found, put the puzzle pieces together, and to tell you about this week's topic, which is the stories of towns abandoned for weird or just plain fucked up reasons. I'm Smith, joining me this week is Joe and Bill. What's up, fellas? How's it going? What's up, man? Everybody doing okay? Yeah. Not a complaint in the world. But I'm uh, I'm very excited to get into this, so I'm just going to do it. I Good. researched right. uh, long and far and found a bunch of different things. And oddly enough, because I'm usually someone who likes weird shit or aliens or whatever, I went with something that is more normal, actually. It's a more normal reason. This is a legitimate reason for this town to be abandoned. And it's a story of mismanagement, in my opinion. And so there's this town in Pennsylvania, Central Centralia, Pennsylvania. Um, it sits on top of a huge coal thread. Coal or... Um, that's not really what it would be called. A thread is what it's called. Uh, a coal vein. So it's a coal mining town. Um... It was founded back in 1841 and incorporated in 1866. Town started small like every other mining town starts and builds to about 3,000 people, give or take. But it's a full thriving town. It has a market, has a, uh, a post office, um, police station, everything that any normal town anywhere you see will have. But it's a small town. Everybody knows each other. It's that kind of a feel. It's like a cheers town. Yes. It's just, it's it's 100% small town America. It's normal. It's quiet. It's safe. They do picnics. Everyone's friendly. Um, everyone knows each other. So their annual, an annual event is coming up and they decide that they would like to get rid of their waste, their landfill, because it's mm -hmm. set next to the cemetery, which is close to one of the parks, and they didn't want the smell blowing over so what they it's do like every other park <laughs> close enough i mean it's not a, it's not on the same block but it's close enough <laughs> it's so in between the between the landfill and the cemetery <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so what they do like a lot of other places do is they decide to burn their trash but they live on a coal mine <laughs> so they start burning their it. trash like they have done years and years before many times nothing new they burn it, don't assume anything else is wrong, they throw the water on top of it like they always do, and then about a week later, somebody realizes that it's still smoldering. <laughs> and it's kind of like, huh, that shouldn't be like that. Yeah. And that could should be where it kind of ends, but it doesn't. The fire ends up in the coal mine. So it goes underground, so something sparks underground? Yes, so in, in a in a in a mine like that, um, as you disturb the ground, cracks and things will happen on the surface area. No matter how far deep you are, what you do below is going to affect up top. Gas could get up. Um, gas that ignited could have came through the surface with a crack by the landfill that they didn't know about, and it just ignited its way down. 
fire could have fell into the mine. No one really knows how it went from surface to underneath. At least nothing that I read. But it was just a normal controlled burn. But underneath, they don't. They have what's called anthracite coal, which is one of the oldest substances on the planet. Anthracite takes about 300 million years to um, form, and it is a slow, hot-burning substance. So it's not something that's easy to put out. Gotcha. So they figure out that the mine is burning, and they, like anyone else, they try to do what they can to put it out. You would think easy things, oh, just hit it with water. Not going to happen. So they try to hit it with water. They try to um, barricade it in other ways by packing sand up against it and non-combustible surfaces. They Not surfaces, non-combustible substances they put on it and thinking that everything will deaden it. And it just doesn't happen. Now, are they doing this all at the site of like one like particular crack or are they like at the entrance to the actual like mine itself? I think they're doing so they're doing it from different ways. They're doing it from inside. Okay. But it's so hot that they can't get close enough to really put it out. And then through other times um so down the center of this uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit to answer this question, but down, down the center of the town is the town's highway. And the highway was fine for most of the time. And this this thing this thing's burning right now. So it didn't <laughs> It's, it was burning for years while the town was still surviving, and they were trying to figure out what was going on. And um, like, and as I said, it's it's burning to this day and can burn for estimated up to another two hundred years, depending That's on crazy. if the if the fire finds another vein of of a uh, coal or if it doesn't. But with the vein that it's currently on, it's going to burn for a couple dec- decades as it is. So. Through the center of the town is a highway. The highway was fine. It was doing okay, and then eventually it buckles and cracks open, so they send non-combustible substances down through the cracks in the highway. Mm-hmm. So they, they took different... They went at it in different ways. Gotcha. The, the best way to have done this was to build, it, to build a trench in front of it to then stop its fuel source. And they were there. They were building this trench. It was going down. It was going down. And then they ran out of money. And after <laughs> they ran out of money, they had to re-put it up for bidding. They were three days away from completing the trench. <laughs> they ran out of money. They had to put it. They had to get more funding and then put it up for bidding. Took about three months after everything was ready to go again. They get down. The fire had burned past where the trench was. Oh, so that three-month period period because of lack of money instead of just saying hey just fucking just do it and we'll, we'll figure pay it out you later. back later <laughs> yeah we'll figure it out later i promise <laughs> no that doesn't happen because it's government and it's bureaucracy and red tape and that's why this is a story of mismanagement at multiple yeah. times in this issue they basically said we have to figure out something else we need to f- get more funds. We need to try something else. And those things in government, as we all know, those delays are not 10 days. They're 10 months. <laughs> They're five months. Baby. They're six months at a time. So as this town, the town doesn't die right away. Like the fire happens in 84. There's still 11 people that live in the town right now that refuse <laughs> to move. So, 
So real quick, so this they had their party in 1984. Is that what is that what is that the year that they had their their town party? Basically, yeah. This, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, and this this is yeah, it was in the 80s. <laughs> so 1984. So in so, they, so they they there's 11 people that still live in this town. Currently, so what happened was um after a bunch of mismanagement and issues that happened throughout the town, um Carbon monoxide started coming up from underneath as it was burning. It's got to go somewhere. So it started coming up. Cracks were popping out throughout the town. And people's houses were having borderline carbon monoxide poisoning in almost every house. So they had to have monitors to monitor the carbon monoxide, which is what you should do. Because it would be really potent at some times and it would die down as the fire. And this was 1984. So so a carbon monoxide monitor looked like a, a hubcap. It was another TV. If they had them. House. It was basically another TV. In like another house. TV, exactly. Yeah. But as it burned, these cracks would would pop up in different parts of the town. So some parts of the town would be bad and some wouldn't. They didn't have enough carbon monoxide monitors for every single house, so people had to share them. Holy so I was shit. like, let me borrow your monitor today. It's uh, I'm feeling kind of sleepy. You know what I mean? Are they aware of anybody's, like, did anybody die? Like, do we know if, like, anybody, so, like, were there fatalities associated through, with this? Through what I read, no one died directly to the fire. So okay. no one died of carbon monoxide poisoning. No one no one died of anything like that. But there are accounts of, like, kids having chronic bronchitis, other sicknesses that you could attribute to noxious gases. Um, the closest anyone came to dying as a direct result of the um, fire was there was a kid named Todd who was walking around in his grandmother's backyard Todd. and um, a sinkhole. He was standing over what became a sinkhole. He fell in about 30 feet. The sinkhole ended up being 300 and he happened to catch a root and held on to a root. Shit. His cousin... Or buddy, I think it was his cousin happened to be walking by, and the kid must have been going out on a hunting trip or was a hunter and had a, a hunter orange hat on, and that's the only reason why his friend saw him. He saw the oh, orange hat, shit. then he looked in, found that Todd, Todd was hanging on by a root branch, and then they saved Todd. Thank, but other than thank that, thank God his cousin wasn't colorblind. Like that would have been awful. <laughs> that's a really smooth-looking right patch of grass. I don't know what that is. Does <laughs> that like grass have a bill on it? Um, <laughs> but that is something that's is happened that? throughout the town from then on. Sinkholes would pop up. Different parts of ground would collapse. Uh, one of the guys I watched this documentary on it. That's where I got a lot of my information, as well as central. Um, Centralia.org had a bunch of mm-hmm. information from now until back then on it. That was another place that I got a, a lot of my information. Um, the, one of the guys who refused to leave said that he walks around and some days there'll be won't be ground where there was. Sinkholes will still to this day form. Wow. I mean, things still burning. But back to the story. So as this is going on and there's no there's no real government intervention that made any sense. They're they're trying to figure things out, uh, bureaucracy, red tape. They eventually do enough research and decide that they're offering relocation over putting out the fire. It's more cost effective to relocate people in the town, which people have already moved away. People had been moving away as this process was going on, but 
the Pennsylvania government eventually says, we'll pay you guys to move, we'll buy your houses, and give you some moving expenses, that's where our thing is. Because it, it ended up costing them around $43 million to move the town, which is just a drop in the bucket of the estimated $600 million in 10 years of work it would take to stop the fire by building a trench big enough to stop it now. The other thing is the new the new trench would have had to be built, well, dug smack in the middle of town anyway, so they would have to relocate close to half the town regardless and do this 10 years of work, so they chose to let it burn like Usher and um, spend $42 million instead of $600. Um, so so burning, burning a month's worth of, of garbage cost us a, a huge natural resource. Yeah, cost a natural <laughs> cost an resource, town. millions of dollars. Um, there was also a whole, when money was available, half the town was ready to leave, and a small, very vocal part of the town did not. They didn't want to leave. They were kicking and screaming. They Death threats were sent out to people that wanted to go because they wanted Sounds the money. Familiar. They wanted the money to be sent, to be used towards putting it out, not towards relocation. And the other thing, if you look at, if you try to find, you look at Centralia, Pennsylvania, which is no longer a town, actually, since everyone was moved out, the uh, borough, the county that it's in, you can't use, you, you can't use Centralia, Pennsylvania as an address. They <laughs> ingested the town, the neighboring town has ingested it. So there's no post office, there's no nothing. Everything goes through Ashwood, Pennsylvania. So, so now, they just deleted it. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah, it's the the one thing that is kind of crazy is yes, it's it doesn't have a zip code anymore. Um, if you look at it, when when people moved out, they knocked all their houses down. So a lot of these houses were two house duplexes, where the mm. houses were attached. They cut the houses in half and knocked down the part where the people had moved up and left up the pieces where the people were still living. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus. it's weird. Like, it there is a weird little, like, deletion, erasing yeah. this town from history. That, 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 I mean, you want to look into something like, oh, this is weird. Look into that. Sure, but there's a legitimate reason for this town to have it been abandoned. And the other thing that could make you say, like, this is weird, the uh, video games and movies, Silent Hill, the yeah. town, is modeled after this town. Oh. So the town of Silent Hill in those video games and movies is supposedly modeled after the structure of this town. I mean, obviously what happens in the movies and the game didn't happen in this town. It's not a horror story. Yeah. But to the an way extent. It's, I mean, it's a different kind of horror story. True. Just management horror. Yeah. That's which crazy, I guess man. is That's a good find, Joe. So now I want to know if these 11 people that still live there, like, do they still, like, consider themselves Centrillians? Like, 100%. Like... 100%. The, one of the, so the documentary follows one guy around, and he got his house from his grandfather. And his mm -hmm. grandfather signed him over the deed to the house. But the deed to the house, prior to this signature, the state had bought all the land on the town. So okay. technically, anything that was done after that isn't legal. So he doesn't okay. actually own the house from his grandfather. The state still owns the land and everything. And you, uh, part of the law is you can no longer pass your house down to any kin. 
So he's kind of just squatting. He's squatting. Yeah, he's, he's a squatter. He's, pretty, he's been squatting for about 10 years. And the, the state hasn't kicked anyone out, even though they can at any point in time. But of the 11 residents, he's the youngest, and he's like 40. Everyone's oh, like yeah. in their 70s and 80s, and I guess they're just waiting for everyone to die. At that point. Yeah. yeah. Is there a mayor of Centralia? Like, does somebody claim yes. to be the mayor? He's 76 years old, and <laughs> supposedly there was a vote. Uh, uh, so the documentary was from 2017. I mean, they're still doing stuff today, cleanups and everything, and there's probably some other stuff that has popped up since then. Um, but it's it it's the, it's the same thing. There's really nothing else. They're just waiting. The town's getting waited out. Wow. Let's have these people eventually pass away. <clears throat> yeah. I, I wonder if they still have that fair every year. <laughs> the fair that abandoned our, so it's the not really fair. it's not really a ghost town as much as it is a, a no town it's on its way right well, it's, yeah it's it's, it's not it no because it's a no town there's no town left they're knocking everything down mm. you know what i mean that's why it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah it's when the last person leaves they're leaving nothing they revoked it's <laughs> they revoked everything it's it's fucking area code it's all gone sorry yeah Wow, good job, man. That was a good one. You are uh, welcome, and I'm sure there is some updated stuff that I missed, and please leave a comment. <laughs> yes, yes, go <laughs> ahead. what I ruined. If you are a Centrillion listening to this, please <laughs> let us know what it's like. That's um, fucking uh, awesome. The chances that there's Wi-Fi in Centrillia, I'm going to assume are pre-zero. <laughs> Fair enough, but you never know. If you are listening and you are a Centrillion, hit us up. Let us know what's up. Let me know what's going crazy. on in Centralia. Yeah. That's crazy, man. <laughs> if you need a, a carbon monoxide detector, just let us know. I'm sure we can do a GoFundMe and get you some shit. <laughs> yeah, it's the size of a watch now, not a TV. Yeah, <laughs> I think we can handle that one. <laughs> well played, Joe. That was a good one, man. Um, yeah, I feel bad for that town. That sucks. That's, That's just like this this horrible, you know. <laughs> just one tried... there. It's yeah. just a, a mishap. Yeah. Well, you, you know? shouldn't have burned your fucking dump. I mean, really, you know, it like, was 1984. That's what they were doing. Yeah, but still, I mean, you know, I yeah, fair enough. I'll give you that. But you know, yeah, you get, you it know, is, it's kind of an unofficial um, tourist attraction too. Like yeah. thousands of people a year go to it and basically just drive around and look at nothing. I wonder how there, far there away is... it is from Intercourse, Pennsylvania. There is the main highway that drove in. <laughs> They eventually like renamed it Graffiti Highway because it just became people painting and doing graffiti on it. But then, like the state came in and put a bunch of dirt on it, so you can't drive it anyway. I guess because it's unsafe. Yeah, probably. It's so there's fire. there's still things that are going on there, but there's no like official uh, tourist attraction. Come to this booth. We'll walk you around the pines <laughs> of Centralia. <laughs> Pick up some garbage mask. while you're here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah, mind the, the cracks thing. and fire. <laughs> yeah, they still do like cleanups and things like that of the area, but I, I I don't really find outside of this documentary that came out, I don't really find much going on in that town. It doesn't seem like there's much going on. Yeah, <laughs> that's fucking awesome. That's crazy. Good one to start us off with, man. Well played. Great research, Joe. I'm proud of you. you did very good. Uh, I appreciate that, Dan. I tried to tell a better story this time, and you less did. Ums. Less ums. Yeah. I gotta opinion. work on my I gotta work on my ums and my rights. That's what I gotta work on. So um, let me know. Yeah, just All right. pause. Just pause. Don't say um, just pause. Yeah, I'll do it. Alright, um, Bill. You're up, buddy. I'm up. I'm up. 
All right. Well, I um I had known about this town for a little while. It was one it was one one of the reasons why I had suggested this topic. Um, I, I had chosen uh, Portlock, Alaska. I don't know if either one of you have ever read up on it. No, I, I purposely did not so that you could tell me about it. Well, <clears throat> Portlock um, is located at the uh, tip of the Kanaya Peninsula in Port Chatham Bay in Alaska. And uh, the only way to get there is by boat or uh, bush plane. Okay. So it's very, it's very remote. It was it was actually named after the captain who landed there originally in 1787, and he uh, noticed it had a lot of protected waters, and it was really just fresh with salmon, like in all its bays. And they they he, he thought it was perfect for a nice little village, but it wasn't until uh, 1900 that uh, an American company bought a fleet of shipping boats and built a cannery in the area. So. It really, from there, it started. It started to grow, and it became home to uh, the people who worked at the cannery, and it became home to a, a nearby um, chromite mine workers that had uh, lived in the area. There was also some natives who lived in the area, but they were, you know, they lived deep into the woods. They really didn't see much of them. But almost, uh, I mean, it, it, was, it was a thriving place. It, it started to really take off. It had its own boarding school. It had a post office there. The you know, United States saw it as a, something that was thriving, so they stuck a post office there with the postmaster general. Mm-hmm. And, you know, almost, I want to say within the first couple of years, um, the people who lived there, the villagers that lived there, they, they started noticing, like, something along the tree line that was just out there. They couldn't see it very well but they could sense that something was there and then at night they you know they weird things would happen and they they you know i I couldn't find too many details about what exactly what was going on there but Mm -hmm. you know they were really freaked out to the point where they left for a year from 1905 to 1906 they just left they're like fuck this i'm freaked out i'm gone like like the whole town like like the people who were living there and they had to convince these people yo you guys got to come back like seriously, we got this. We'll pay you more. Whatever we got to do, you guys got to come back. So they, they finally convinced them to come back, and everything was going good. Uh, and then right around 1930s, um, it, actually in like 1931, it, there was a, a villager that was um, he was cutting wood. He was lo- doing logging work, and they went to go find him, look on, check on him, and apparently something had picked up a ridiculously heavy piece of machinery and crushed his head with it and then threw it like 30 feet away from his body. But this piece of machinery is so heavy that it, no, no, no man could pick this thing up. Like they, they were, they were at dump. Like what, what is it? What what happened to When him? you say machinery, like, what do you mean? Like, uh, The way it was described to me was just a, a very heavy piece of logging machinery. That's how it was. Crushed this man's head. Crushed it. Was picked, it was picked up, slammed on this guy's head, crushed his skull, and then thrown like 30 feet away. Jesus. Like, had, they off? had no idea. Like, wh- like, what happened? What what happened to John or whatever? I, I, <laughs> I, I wrote down his name, but... Regardless, there's so many incidents. Well, not so many. There's been a couple of incidents that was going on. Like long, at, not long after that, a couple of coal miners went up into the mountains 
and they were never seen again. They just disappeared. Mm. So you now people are like, all right, you know, this is it wasn't too much longer after that. So people are like, well, that's terrifying. You know, what's going on? You know, you got maybe like fifty to maybe a hundred people living in this town. Tops. Yeah. You know, maybe even less than that. You know, around that area though. So, you know, for some people just to like, you know, for people to start dying off, it was like, it was noticeable, it was heard of, it spread through the day, you know? It's a large percentage of the population, if you think about it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> they, they, they started thinking it was like, you know, something weird was going on, and then some locals had come to them. And these are the people, you know, that had, you know, natives to the, to the land, and they were like, look, we, we want to let you know, like, this isn't like freak accidents, there's something living out here. And they even hmm. they even named it. It was like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up, but it was like Nantenyar, uh, Nantenyar, something like that. Okay. And they were like, "Look, it's it, it's it's like a man beast. It's like it, this thing's out here, and it's, and it's and it lives out here. So watch yourselves." So they now now the locals are freaked out because now they got this story that comes along from the locals, <laughs> and they're like, "Okay, well, that's freaky." So then uh, this villager named Tom Larson went out to the forest to chop some wood and he, for his fishing traps and he sees a, uh, a large hairy thing out on the beach from where he is. So he, he runs home, he grabs his rifle, he comes back and he, and you know, at this point he's probably like, you know, this thing's gone, but no, this thing is standing right where he left it. And he is like having a staring contest with this thing. And he's just like eye to eye with it. And he's looking down the barrel of his gun, but he's so terrified that he never even gets a mm-hmm. shot off. He's just shitting himself. So he, this thing walks off into the woods. And he's like, what the fuck? So now he comes back to town. He's like, okay, guess what I saw? So now these people are like, well, what? This is freaky. You know, what the fuck's going on? Did he on? have like a, dis- like a description of the height or anything else? He, all he said it was just, just this large, hairy thing. That was out on the beach. It's that's all you could okay. describe it as. I was not on the beach. <laughs> so not long <laughs> after that, uh, there was an account of these hunters that were going out and they were tracking a moose. And as they're coming along, they're, they suddenly come along along with the moose tracks. They're, they're coming along these eighteen-inch-long man-like feet footprints, and they're like, "What the fuck?" And they realize that this thing is also tracking the same moose. This, oh shit! So they follow these traps until they get that's, to a bit of a clearing. That's dangerous. And they come out into this clearing, and it's this patch of grass that is like tall grass that has been matted down, and it's just blood soaked. But there's no body parts, and the only thing that is leaving the area is the footprints. So I don't know if you know how big a moose is, <laughs> but this dude, this moose thing, is fucking huge, man, destroyed this moose. Picked it up and walked off with it. He didn't drag it. Threw it on no, its shoulders and fucking walked away. There was no away. drag marks. There was just the footprints walking off and no moose. Wow. So now they come back and they're like, this is, you know, what, what the fuck? So another group, not long after that, of went out hunting sheep. They go out on the mountain and they never come back. So the next thing they know, apparently the, uh, the river had dumped out their remains into a lagoon that, that is right by the bay. And that's where they found the remains. And the way they described it was this thing, you got to imagine, there's a lot of black bears and brown bears yeah. that live in the area. This thing wasn't shredded. These people weren't shredded. They were beaten and torn apart. So something 
something physically like just rip them apart them. and beat them. Yes, broken bones, not slash marks, not chew marks. These people were ripped to so, shreds. Okay, so more like more like a gorilla than a wolf. Yes, which does not okay. live in Alaska. No, <laughs> okay. and and that that seems to be more like a um, that's more aggressive <clears throat> than like naturalistic feeding type. You know yeah. tendencies. You know, like that's that's like a get the fuck off of my land. And and the sightings, the sightings, you know, that had happened. There was there was a couple more, a handful, but they, you know, they started back in 1905, and as late as like the 60s and 70s, you were still hearing hunters coming out of there telling stories of, you know, getting chased and stalked in their or you know something stalking their campsites and just mm. crazy stories coming out of that area. And the, the whole that that whole area of 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 Alaska and Canada, it, you, you you hear it all the time in those areas. Like it's the yeah. it's, it's very common to hear like these just these crazy stories of beasts walking around there. Well, the Alaskan uh, Triangle is not very far away. Yes. From no, it's Portland. not. It's no, like it's right. Portlock is like right on the border of the Alaskan Triangle. Yeah, yeah, it's not far at all. I was I was looking. I had the maps pulled up. I was waiting. To say it's it, I mean you'd you'd consider it the cusp. Yeah, I mean it's right there. It's 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 yeah. right on the border of it. Absolutely. There, there's a so very famous story. If you live in Alaska, there's a very state famous you know a story that's been told a couple times of a um, a paramedic that had gone up up to a prison up there, Eagle something prison. Eagle I forgot what it's called, but uh, he had to go revive a guy up there, and he he revives him and gets him up, and he's talking to him, and you know he's talking about where he's from, and he says. Uh, you know, I, I've been, I went hunting, you know, down in that southern tip of uh, of the Kenai Peninsula. And the guy, his native, who was, in, who was the prisoner, he jumped up and sat straight up and grabbed the guy by the collar. And he asks him, he's like, did you see it? Did you, did you hear it? And uh -oh, the guy's shit. like, the guy's like, no, did, did you? And he's like, you know, but my brother did. He was chased by it once. Wow. <laughs> like it's like freaky like and that's just like such an off like nothing nobody was involved you know what i'm saying yeah. so it's like mm -hmm. just it's such a like a, a second person story or a third like person a side story. conversation that's just you know what i mean no but and but when t when towns like become abandoned you know it gradually happens unless there's like some sort of disaster it, yeah. it gradually happens <laughs> these people left overnight wow these people were so freaked out about what happened fear. and what was going on that there was there must have been something out there. Like this is no joke. There was there was something terrorizing these people or you know picking them off if they Well, that's I mean if you, it, it goes to like human beings <clears throat> our innate nature of being afraid of what we we can't see. Yeah. Right? I mean that's why people are scared of the dark. That's why I'm terrified of the ocean, right? Cuz I can't see underneath the ocean. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that plays on our, our primal fears of when you're looking out into the woods and you hear shit, but you can't see shit. Now, and you have now no idea that. what's out there. Imagine that feeling, right? And now you have that, you, you know something's out here. Everybody's scared shit. Listen, everybody fucking leaves. But the only person that can't leave is the postmaster general because they tell him he has to stay there until <laughs> it closes down, and it doesn't close down for a year. Oh, that should be a movie. He was sitting <laughs> there for a year, bro. They should make a movie about that guy and what his, his life. 
This, oh, could you imagine? Man. Everybody said, fuck you. I'm changing my address. I'm leaving. Guys, See you later. Don't leave. And this guy's just like, I gotta, I gotta be here all by myself now. Fuck. Who's he delivering mail to? <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. Why did it take them a year to shut everything down? How many things did he have to forward to the, that town that they moved to? You know, it's like, what the fuck, people? If you're him, for about a, for give or take a decade, this town has been terrorized. Yeah. Everyone picks up and leaves, and yeah. you're like, all right, I'm going to go too. And some regional director boss goes, no, you can't. Phil. We, we Phil need says you, there. you can't go. <laughs> yeah, you're. You're too important. All the mail that goes to Anchorage has to stop by you guys first. He's like, but there's a road right there. You can just drive right past, right? <laughs> nope, nope. We have to, uh, we have, we have to yep. shut you down in a proper time. But before we can shut you down, we have to get funding to shut you down. It's going to take six months to five years. And we're working on this town of Pennsylvania right now with <laughs> yeah. a fire underneath. We can't really we, get to you right now. <laughs> we could shut you down, but we have to build this trench, possibly. So in Pennsylvania, which has nothing to do with you or state funding, but you're gonna have to hang out for a little longer there, Phil. And I'm sure that the guy that got the job was kind of like, you know, heading into it, must have been like, this is gonna be a fucking easy, cushy job. I'm gonna go live in Portlock. I'm gonna chill. There's nothing happens up there. What do I got to worry about? And then yeah, <laughs> you're the maybe, only guy left. Maybe I definitely the original be guy retirement papers, man. Maybe the original <laughs> guy left. And somebody who didn't know was transferred there. You know what? Let's let's possibly let's 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 get a transfer you to Portland. There's a lot of ideas coming out here where there could be a movie. So let's just keep it to ourselves, and we'll write <laughs> this another time. Good point. Uh, <laughs> we are copywriting these prior conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We said it. Go. That's that's, uh, that's Portland, Alaska. Dude, yeah, that's that was. I have to now look into that a little bit more because that's that's definitely interesting. Like yeah. that's crazy, dude. I wonder if yeah, the these are the, real. If the if the postmaster might have been the guy behind the whole thing, right? He's wow. got it's it's like that whole Scooby Doo. He's got the mask on and shit. <laughs> yeah, I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> I mean, apparently he got away with it though. Everybody left. Maybe he's still there, hanging out by himself, mining okay. gold that didn't want to let anyone know that was underneath. And chromite, whatever the fuck chromite <laughs> is. Seriously. Well, sounds like we something got chromite. <laughs> that was fucking awesome, man. Well, well done. I, 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 I think we need to take a trip to Centrillion and then head up on the port lock after that. And, uh, Crazy. I think that would be a, a nice yeah. little trip for us to do. We go to Centrillia and make a right and end up in port lock. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Just, you know, a couple miles. A couple, couple miles. miles. So well done, Bill. Things? Well done. All right. So I'm going to finish this off tonight and, uh, I'm going to, uh, well, I'll, I'll, let me start it then. Here we go. Nestled in the foothills of Georgia Blue Ridge Mountains lies Lake Sydney Lanier, one of America's favorite lakes. Well known for its recreational opportunities, Lake Lanier hosts more than 11.8 million people annually. Lake Lanier has 76 recreational areas, including 40 core-operated parks and campgrounds, 10 marinas, Lake Lanier Islands. The remaining areas are leased to local governments or other organizations. With more than 690 miles of shoreline, the lake is well known for its aqua blue colored water, spectacular scenery, and unique recreational activities. Constructed by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in the 1950s, Lake Lanier is a multi-purpose lake that is authorized for flood protection, power production, water supply, navigation, recreation, and fish and wildlife management. Now what the fuck does this have to do with abandoned town? I'm glad you asked. Now, before we dive into Lake Lanier, 
You guys, you see what I did there? Yeah, I got you. I I thought that. All right. I want to explain real quick why I chose this particular location. And I chose this story for two reasons. The first having to do uh, with the abandonment of the town, right? Which is one of many really, really dark spots in American history. And frankly, the story needs to be told. Simple as that. Second one is also dark, but for very, very, very different reasons, right? So a a little bit about Lake Lanier, and this is in Georgia, and I'm sure if we have any listeners in Georgia, they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. So Lake Lanier, it's a massive 52.97 square reservoir, right? It was established in 1956, as I had said before, with the, uh, the completion of the Buford Dam. And to this day, it helps control flooding along the Chattahoochee. Everybody say Chattahoochee. That's a very funny word to say. That's a great word to say. As well as to provide water and, and power to residents, uh, residents to uh, Atlanta. It has a hydroelectricity power plant, all that type of stuff, right? But to get a clearer picture of how and why this behemoth of a lake exists, we got to go uh, back 46 years before its creation, back to 1912. So now we're in 1912 in the town of Oscarville. Now, Oscarville is a African-American town, and it's Forsyth County in Georgia. Prior to it being the name or the town Oscarville, it was once part of the Cherokee Nation. And in the 1830s, we know the United States government came in, expelled everybody out of that area, uh, and that would they would put them on what we would now know as the Trail of Tears. So it, it has a little bit of a checkered past, right, to begin with. But now, 1912, you got about 1,100 black folks that are gonna, that are living in this town of Oscarville, and many of whom actually fought in the Civil War to literally like free themselves. Right, these are former Union soldiers. Uh, many are just freedmen and freed women, right, from you know that time period. And in the fall of 19, uh, 1912, an 18-year-old white woman named May Crow is raped and murdered close to Brown's Bridge on the banks of the Chattahoochee River in this village of Oscarville. Four black people were immediately arrested for the crime, which, by the way, is very, very, very common at this time period. So let's go, let's fast forward real quick, 1921. Tulsa. You guys familiar with the Tulsa race riot? Yes. Right, yes. the Tulsa, the Tulsa massacre. Dick Rowland, right? Diamond Dick Rowland is the man that's accu- he he gets accused of raping Sarah Page. She's a white woman. She's an ele- uh, elevator attendant. This is a a a a situation that we see pop up again and again and again and again, where you know black men are are consistently uh, tied in or accused right of of somehow assaulting, offending, or raping white women at the time period. So. I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but stay with me. So we go back to Georgia. It's 1906, a place called the Five Point. This becomes the epicenter of what's known as the Atlanta Race Massacre that claims the lives of at least 25 African Americans and two white residents. And the four days of violence that happens in this area starts on September 22nd, and that's spurred on by a number of factors. You got yellow journalism. You got, again, rape accusations. You got the resentment of African Americans enjoying actual access to voting rights, right, to success, to economic opportunity. And again, here comes this notion of wild black man rapists, right, which is this racial trope that is used for a very long time, especially in the South. And it's something, again, that we see again and again and again. And in this case, Oscarville is no different. So what we see is a white woman 
uh, named May Crow, as I said, uh, is uh, she is is raped and murdered. And these crimes are pinned on on four black people who happen to live nearby. So you got Ernest Knox, 16 year old, his 18 year old cousin, Oscar Daniel, uh, Daniel's 22 year old sister, Jane Daniel, and 24 year old Robert, they call him Big Rob Edwards. And what happens is Edwards is arrested. And the day after his arrest, right, well, all four of them are arrested, but the day after Edwards' arrest, a white mob invades his jail cell. He's shot, he's dragged through the streets, and he's lynched from a telephone pole just outside the, the courthouse. So you've got these four people, right, accused of this murder. One of them is dragged from, right, the jail cell, right, so they get into the jail, they drag him out, they kill him. Now, Isby gets more violence right after that. So now white mobs, right, are are storming the town. You've got uh, a group of white uh, a mob that are calling themselves the Night Riders, and they're going from door to door with torches and guns. I mean, they're burning down black churches, businesses. They're demanding that all black residents in Forsyth County just vacate immediately, get the hell out of there. And a lot of the residents go. They quickly abandon their land and their crops and their homes, and a lot of times, most of their belongings. I mean, just like Bill, you were saying about before, right? Most times when there's an, a a a you know an abandonment in the town, it happens gradually. This is one of those that happens overnight, and after they leave. The white folks that pushed them out are going through their homes, taking their stuff, pillaging what remains. Now, um, Knox, who was Ernest Knox, who was also arrested, when they got him, they got him at his home and they subjected him to a mock lynching. And so they put the rope around him, you know, they put the rope up over <clears throat> a tree branch and they were about you know, to pull, right? And they're about to, 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 to raise him up until, you know, and they say, if you, you confess, we'll let you live. And so they coerce a confession out of him. Well, they take that, co that confession and that's used in court against him. So in October of that year, 1912, a jury takes a little bit over an hour to convict Ernest Knox and Oscar Daniel for the, for the killing of Crow. And they drop the charges on his sister, Trusty Daniels, and 5,000 people gather to watch the two teenage boys be hanged. And it's pretty much widely believed that they were all innocent of the crime. And now this is another thing that is very, very common at the time is that it's like a spectator sport. They have will have fairs and they will sell food and have parade floats and things like that. And everybody in the town comes out to watch this lynching. In Texas, there's a really famous uh, story of, of after a lynching, they, they take pictures of it and they make those pictures into postcards and they sell them in the general stores of those towns, right? So this is something that is, is very, very common. Remember, this is 1912. At, between 1890 and 1920, you also have the highest membership numbers of the KKK in American history. And Georgia, obviously, we know what, you know, Georgia's Georgia, right? So over time, pieces of the land in this town, Oscarville, is going to be sold off, you know, to the government. And my civic students would know that's eminent domain, right? Fifth, uh, Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. And by 1950, they get this plan to build Lake Lanier and it's in full effect. And the entire town of Oscarville is underwater. They, it's, I think I read something along the lines. It's like 916 billion gallons of water are just poured all over this town. And it's intentionally flooded with the Buford Dam, as I was telling you before, that's in conjunction with it. And again, wait, hold on. They don't 
they don't dig out the land. They just flood they existing just, land. So it just, has to have just been at a low point. Yes, at a low okay. point, and they just flood the whole fucking thing. That's why this lake is so big, right? They just flood the entire thing, and they create a dam. It's a man mill. It's a man-made reservoir. It's a man-made mm-hmm. reservoir lake that they're now going to use that water for fresh water and for hydroelectric electricity. So the then they name it, right? They name the reservoir after Sidney Lanier. And yeah, it's a, he's a poet and a musician, right? Oh yeah, by the way, he's also a former Confederate soldier as well. So not only are they going to, you know, destroy a black town, they're going to run everybody out of it. They're going to literally put it under billions of of gallons of water. But then they're going to lay, they're going to name the lake after a Confederate soldier. So in the end, the whole construction, it's over in 1956. It's going to destroy more than about 50,000 acres of farmland. It's going to displace upwards of 250 families, uh, 1,100 residents of this town. But here's the kick part. It's also, <clears throat> they also tried to relocate 20 cemeteries. And they were not successful in relocating everybody from all the cemeteries. And so when they did push this whole, you know, they, they flooded the entire thing. They left many, many, many displaced corpses down there as well. Uh, at the same time, you go back, right? And now you also have the, 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 the Native Americans who also lived in that area. So there's a whole bunch of trauma and there's just a whole bunch of shittiness that happens in this area. Now, I've come to different numbers. But most of them that I have come to claim that since 1956, about 650 plus people have died in that lake. Now, according oh to the, go ahead, Joe. No, I I was just gonna. Uh, I don't I don't want to steal your thunder, but I had a thought as you were saying something, and I don't know if I should go through with it or not because I don't know what your thunder is gonna be. Go ahead, go go. It's fucking Lake Ronkonkoma. <laughs> Except you don't have a queen, someone else is killing people in the lake. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. have the princess, uh, princess, something, something like that. I think it's the, the princess. queen of like, I think it was the princess. The yeah, well, it was the chief's daughter. You don't have her stealing people. You have some other trauma going on that's now stealing people between yes. black people and Native Americans killing people. The second you said um, the burials. The cemeteries, I'm like, he's going to say that like a, a lot of people have died there. Yeah, dude. And then you tell me a lot of people have died there. It's 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 like Ronkonkoma. It's fucking crazy, right? And so according to the Georgia Department of Natural Resources Law Enforcement, 57 boating fatalities have taken place at the reservoir while 145 people have drowned to their deaths, in their own words, between just 1998 and 2018. That's yeah. fucking nuts. And from 2015 to 2018, you had 43 lake-related deaths and 128 boating accidents. And so Georgia's DNR says that from 2015 to 18, again, it had 128 boating accidents. In comparison, during that that same time span, Lake Alatoona, uh, which is another lake in, in Georgia, it's, it's now Lake Lanier is the biggest, so obviously these are smaller. But Lake Alatoona experienced 66 a- a- accidents. Lake Sinclair reported 16. And Lake Oconee had 19. And a further 214 incidents of boating under the influence occurred at the same time on Lake Lanier. So you're looking at close to 600 people, right, have died 
in this one lake and and unless well, from 1960 uh, sorry 1956 on why the fuck do people keep going to this lake it's unbelievable <laughs> it's it's fucking nuts right and now it gets even crazier so april 1958 this is two years right after the the construction was delia may parker young she's traveling down the road with her friend Susie roberts they're in a car Apparently they had just gotten some some gas and they they uh they skipped out on paying it right and so they're driving away as fast as they can they lose control of their car and they dr- they ride they they drive off of a bridge now divers went into the lake they searched the area <clears throat> they couldn't find the the vehicle or any remains nothing no physical evidence whatsoever except for a set of skid marks so they knew that the woman's cars you know the woman's car went into the lake a year later nineteen fifty nine a fisherman discovers human remains that had floated to the surface of the lake. Now, they didn't know the cause of death. <clears throat> they couldn't, you know, positively identify anybody. Although the, bo- the body was noted for, uh, for missing both hands and several toes. Now, many assumed that this is, uh, you know, uh, Delia or Susie. But again, they, nobody knew for sure. Now, you fast forward to 1990. They find a 1954 Ford, which was Susie Roberts. It was her Ford and the lake bed. They were, they were preparation, you know, making a new bridge or something like that. Right. They were building new construction around the lake. They're dragging the bottom of the lake. They bring out this car. And as they're bringing like they're they're they get the car out. And as they're, they're cleaning out all of the mud and stuff, they find bones. Right. And they found the personal belongings in the car, all that type of stuff. And it was identified as Susie Roberts. In the light of the discovery it was concluded that the first young woman must have been Delia May, right? And for decades, Susie Roberts was trapped in her car, hidden under 90, 90 plus feet of water. So the crazy part is, over time, now there's also the Lady of the Lake. She wears blue, and she has also been reported for years uh, of not having hands by all of these different people that are driving around. So not only do you have the spirits that are possibly living under this lake grabbing people, that, and that's the thing that people talk about. There are countless, countless people that say you're, you're swimming in Lake Lanier and somebody grabs you. They grab yeah, you by the, the ankle. Lake. Yeah, they grab you by the ankle and they drag you down. Now, remember, can't, though, can't there's be an, the lady to the lake. Could be the lady of the lake or it no, could be. No, it can't the, be. She has no hands. Oh, that's right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> it can't be, right? Because she's got no hands. It's the lady of the lake's hands. It could be the hands. Ooh, maybe she was searching for her hands the whole time. If she found them, she becomes a supreme Loch Ness monster being. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yes. It, I mean, we can cut that out. <laughs> so, point being is that not only now what makes it so difficult in this lake is when somebody does go down. There's literally an entire town underneath there with buildings. Right, it's between seventy to one hundred and sixty feet oh, deep. Man. So trying to find somebody in there, divers, it's it's incredibly dangerous for divers to go down there. And they can't retrieve anybody's body. So anybody that goes underneath, you're done. Goodbye. And over 20 bodies have been lost and never recovered out of the 600 plus that have died. So it just keeps collecting bodies as time goes on. And it's just insane to think in one lake from 1956 to now, over 600, I've seen between 600 and 700 people have died on this lake. Something's fucking going on. Like, there's no... <laughs> that fucking place is haunted. I don't give a shit, man. And and this abandoned town, right, which was abandoned in such an absolutely horrible, horrific, 
unfortunately becoming more and more American way, right? Is all is 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 you know at the very literally at the at the bottom line of this entire mystery that's happening in Lake Lanier. So that, folks, is what I've got as far as my uh, my abandoned town. Um, and and again, too, you know, I, I just really felt like it, we needed to shed some light on what happened to Oscarville because as we are seeing now with Tulsa and all those other instances, the Wilmington race riots in North Carolina, this is something that is very, it was all too common. It happened quite a bit. And I've seen so many stories about Lake Lanier in my researching, but very, very, very few touch upon the fact that they all conveniently leave out Oscarville. They all conveniently leave out the terror and, and what took place to these people, these Americans, right? These human beings that lived in this town prior to this, right? Because of white supremacy and hatred and racism. So um, that's why I kind of wanted to end off the episode with that one, because it's hard to riff on that, to be honest with you guys. But, you know, again, my question is, why the fuck did people go swimming in Lake Lanier? Why would you fucking go It's got go there? some bad juju. It has bad juju. It has to have time. bad juju. There's no way it doesn't have bad juju, right? But at 600 plus people fucking dead, why the fuck do you go there? Stay the fuck home. Go to one of the other lakes. People Get a pool. People don't really realize how difficult it is to swim in a lake than it is the ocean. Because the ocean, you're buoyant, you know? The, mm-hmm. the salt water helps you float up a little bit. The second you stop any type of movement in in fresh water, you start to sink. Yeah, I almost, almost drowned almost almost instantly. I and almost it, drowned in, in Cape Cod. They they say it feels like somebody is grabbing you by the feet because that's where the sinking starts. Mm, that's a good point. And, but that's that. I've I've always heard that. I, I I won't go swimming in lakes and shit like that. I won't do it. There is a diver. I don't to begin with. There was a diver, and I, 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 I apologize. I don't have his name. I don't have the quote, but he's uh, last name is Buchanan, and in the article I was reading, it talks about he he says while you're diving down there, like you're you know you're moving, you're swimming, right, and you move your hand, and you will hit. According to him, you will hit limbless like like limbs just in the water. And you just will come up upon an arm or a leg and you grab it and it's just, it's there. And it's, then you look back and then it's not. Uh, that's all I got, guys. Um, oh, good job. That was a good one, man. Yeah. Yeah. That was Thank a good you one. Guys I'm surprised for... more bones and bodies don't surface from that lake from pre, like the old cemeteries and Indian burial grounds mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Also, like stuff's not popping up all the time. Well, I mean, you would think about it. If, I, if it was if it was salt water, it would, but the fresh water keeps it down there. Well, I guess you know the compacted mud on top of it with the you know six hundred ninety billion you know gallons of water, whatever how, however much it is. I mean, I would imagine that probably has created some sort of suction. Do you ever get stuck in the mud when you're walking? It's like yeah, but really there, hard. There had to be. There's got to be some shifting, some decaying of the town that's underneath sure. even fresh water yeah. and separation. Or if you're going down, they they can't dredge that. There's no like no. It's interesting. Yeah. So take a look into it. Uh, if you are there, uh, you're in Georgia, for, for the love of God, don't go swimming in Lake Lanier. And for you Georgians out there that know a little bit more to the story, if I missed anything or got anything wrong, hey, please let us know in the comments. And if you'd like to come on and let us know about it more, uh, just let us know. Um, for myself, uh, for Bill, and for Joe, I'm not going to speak for you guys, so you guys can say goodbye. All right. Have a good one. We'll see you next time. Good night. Until next time. Yeah, we will uh, see you guys next time. Please go ahead and follow us on Twitter 
at podcast story of and please let it uh yeah spread spread the word let, let some people know that we exist all right we're we're, uh, we're busting our asses out for you so <laughs> and joe that goes for you too dick <laughs> fucking jerk off <laughs> all right guys we will we will talk to you guys next week and uh well, whatever it is hey stay weird have fun Later.